0: And here's a look at your Bills Dolphins game forecast. Lake effect snow, winds out of the west 10 to 20 miles an hour.
1: It's supposed to be snowing and supposed to be in the 20s and 30s. This is a very critical game for Tua because you've been 0 and 4 in your coldest games in your career. You need to go into Orchard Park and actually throw some touchdown mm-hmm. passes.
0: Weather forecasting is kind of like football forecasting when you really think about it. Because you examine history, you try to account for randomness by building these complicated mathematical models, and whether you are right or wrong, and no matter which team you root for, you're going to wind up yelling at clouds. Especially in mid-December. So today, with cold fronts buffeting the East Coast, We ask our human Doppler radar, Bill Barnwell, to take the temperature of what seems to be the hottest divisions in football, the AFC and NFC East. And he tells us what the Dolphins need to pack to survive their trip to Buffalo on Saturday. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, December 15th. This is ESPN Daily. So, Bill, the whole NFL games on Saturdays thing that I always forget about, but is now upon us again. And it's always like this time every December. It feels like it's just disorienting, man.
2: It's very upsetting. I mean, it feels like I know it's some... My body knows, I should say, at some point around November, the sun's going to go down earlier. Yeah, It's going to be cold walking my dog, Maggie, in the morning and in the evening. And then random Saturdays that I was relying upon to have a nice quiet day or go spend time with my wife are instead going to be spent sitting on the couch for 10 more hours watching football (laughs) plus whatever else happens on Sunday.
0: Yeah. I mean, now we get three games. We get three games, Bill, that we're going to force you to watch. And then, (laughs) you know, um, yeah, steal your takes that you develop afterwards. But the best of them, On Saturday Mm -hmm. is gonna be the night game. It's probably the best game of the whole weekend, too, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. the eight and five Dolphins versus the ten and three Bills. These are the top two teams atop the AFC East. They're playing Buffalo in the Mm -hmm. brutal cold. And it feels Mm -hmm. like maybe this is Miami's last opportunity to actually like beat out the Bills and win this division. Mm -hmm. And it also feels like a case study that I'm genuinely fascinated by as to what is happening with Anon and the Dolphins offense right now because they were explosive, maybe the most explosive offense in the entire league, Bill. But how have they been looking like over these last two weeks?
2: Pablo, I made the very foolish choice last week to write about the four quarterbacks from the class of 2020 and put Tua Tagovailoa <laughs> yes. ahead of Justin Herbert, a decision which looks particularly bleak, not even... A week later, as you listen to this, it has not been pretty Mm. the past couple of weeks. So Tua Tango had been one of the most accurate passers in football. By some measures, he was having the best third season in the history of the National Football League. Yes. Before the last two weeks. And then on Sunday night, he started three of 17. Against the Chargers. Uh. He played about as bad as quarterbacks do when we assume teams are tanking. <laughs> the Dolphins are not tanking, Pablo. To your point, they're trying to win the division. And we've still seen, sure, some of those big plays here and there the 75 yard touchdown to start the game against the Niners or that 60 yard touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill against the Chargers. But in weeks past, Tua Tango low, I was able to make Solid plays in between those huge chunk plays that have defined the Dolphins' season. And over the past couple weeks, he's barely been able to move the ball. The Dolphins were the league's third-best offense by EPA per play, expected points added per play, through Week 12. Over the last two weeks against the Niners and the Chargers, they are the league's fifth-worst offense. They have three third-down conversions over their last eight quarters. Of football, and sure, Ugh. great offenses can have bad days. It happens. Look at the Cowboys last week. But by NFL standards, to fall off this dramatically in back to back games, I have to believe, Pablo, that there are even some members of Tuanon who are wondering if they've been hoodwinked. Mm,
0: well, I, I don't know about how probable a, a, an awakening is to that part, <laughs> but I do watch the Dolphins and I think to myself, like Tua does seem to be like hearing alarms in his head all of the time. He's like mm-hmm. flailing around. He's he's running for his life, oftentimes, it yes. looks like.
2: Yes. I, I think the comfortable life Tua had envisioned for himself with Mike McDaniel, with Tyreek Hill, the very comfortable chair he had sank himself into over the first uh, 12 weeks of the year, there's now a big hole in that chair. And Tua is trying to avoid falling into it. The, the, the pass pressure for the Dolphins is becoming a significant problem. For the first eight games of the year, it was pretty easy. Of course, remember the hit against the Bengals, but overall, Tango Violoa took a total of just eight sacks. The ball was getting out quick, and it was getting to receivers for big plays. Now, he lost star left tackle to Ron Armstead at the midway point of that win over the Texans when they were blowing out Houston three weeks ago. Right. And he hasn't been the same guy since. He's taken more sacks over the last two and a half weeks than he did over the prior 11 and a half weeks before that. This was a quarterback who, against the Texans in the first half of that game, looked totally in control and had absolute confidence in the offensive line, in the receivers, and the system in which he was playing. Now, over the past couple weeks, he looks lost.
0: So in terms of that Degree of loss. How much of that is because defenses have figured out something essential, Bill, about what Tua does, what Mike McDaniel, the first year head coach of this team, does, what their extremely fast wide receivers, by the way, also like to do?
2: Mm-hmm. Though they like to apparently. Uh, sneak the ball out of fumble piles and return it for long touchdowns, which is uh, a tactic they should probably try in this Bills game. That's a good it was
0: play. That's a good play by Tyreek Hill. Yeah. One of my favorite
2: plays of the entire season. Wilson again, right up the middle, breaks, tackle, go. and ball comes out Dolphins, I think have it. It's on the ground. Tyreek Hill picks it up. Oh my gosh, he it. might go. He came out of the pile with it. Touchdown, Miami. How about that crazy play? But I think we're seeing teams recognize what the game plan is for the Dolphins and sort of take extreme measures to stop it. The Dolphins saw more zone coverage than anybody else in football through the first 12 weeks of the season. And that makes sense. Mm. You have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, who are devastatingly fast, can burn you deep. You don't want to play man coverage against those guys, because if you screw up, the result is a touchdown. Over the last two weeks, the Niners and Chargers have said, hey, We'd rather play man coverage even if we get beat for one score here or there because it's going to slow down this offense and the in-between periods. So the timing of this Dolphins passing attack in the first few seconds after the snap has been thrown off by the Niners and the Chargers playing more press man coverage than teams were willing to do over the course of the first 12 weeks of the season.
0: Okay, so just to make sure I follow here, through the first part of the season, as you just said, defenses were basically living in fear of the Dolphins' speed receiver. They were terrified of the deep ball. So they played soft zone coverage to keep those guys in front of them. But now, somewhat counterintuitively, we have seen two defenses decide to play tight, to press up on these receivers in man coverage, and that has actually disrupted all of the bread-and-butter throws underneath that this offense normally likes to feast on.
2: Yes, absolutely. There's been so many games this year where it's felt like the Dolphins have receiver after receiver, running free over the middle of the field for a perfect pass from Tua and big yards after the catch. What press man coverage does is gets the cornerbacks and the linebackers, but usually just the cornerbacks, up to the line of scrimmage, gets them on those receivers immediately, and prevents Tua tango from getting in a rhythm hitting those timing throws, reading players for RPOs, because the throwing lanes that should be there is not there because the receivers aren't at that spot yet. Mm. And when you have that happening, yes, if your receivers are going to get open eventually, which Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell can do, you'll have opportunities for big plays behind them. But if the pass rush is getting to him more than it was before Toron Armstead got hurt, now you have this sort of vicious cycle where, To a tango it doesn't have the immediate options. And by the time the deeper options do open up, he's getting hit or looking down at the pass rush and the play is getting blown up. So what we're seeing instead are a lot of sort of iffy 50-50 balls to Tyreek Hill or throws to spots where are not really open right now.
0: So if timing and time are both enormous problems right now, how do the Dolphins fix this?
2: Time machine is certainly one way to go about it. <laughs> Barring that, I think they have to take what the defense is willing to give them. And right now, it's not throws to Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell going over the middle of the field. It's throws to Mike Gesicki. It's throws to Trent Sherfield. It's throws to the running backs in this offense because they have one-on-one matchups. They're open for opportunities. And I think throwing to those guys is going to create the passing lanes that Tua saw earlier in the year for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. The Dolphins don't have to be great. To win this game, Mm. because they weren't great on offense the first time these two teams played. Tua did miss part of the game after taking uh, a big hit, which, according to the Dolphins, was a back injury. According to the rest of the universe, was a a brain injury. Yes, but in that game, the Dolphins won despite only having 212 yards from scrimmage. They got a short field from a Josh Allen turnover for one touchdown, and they went three for three in the red zone. Given the issues they appear to be having on offense it's probably going to have to take something like that again for the Dolphins to pull off the sweep.
0: Well, what's also tricky about this game against Buffalo and the Bills defense, by the way, like Mm -hmm. a top five defense, right? Really good. But but the issue for them is that they just lost Von Miller. And Von Miller, of course, is this enormous offseason acquisition. It's their star pass rusher. It's the solution that they settled on to solve the problem of the star quarterbacks throughout the AFC. And now he's done for the entire year. He tore his ACL. And so where does this leave the Bills now as they enter this game?
2: It leaves them really struggling to patch holes on both sides of the defensive spectrum, both in terms of the pass rush and in terms of their coverage. Now, on the coverage side, they've been mixing and matching pieces all year. Star safety Micah Hyde, has been out for the season. Top cornerback Tredavious White has missed most of the year with a torn ACL. He's just come back. Last week was the first time he's played 100% of the defensive snaps. Still really not 100%, uh, if you ask most people. And first-round pick, Kairi Ulim, who was supposed to be a regular in the secondary, has been in and out of the lineup. Now, we've seen this come back to haunt the Bills already, even with Miller In the fold. We saw the Vikings take advantage of rookie Christian Benford at corner and backup safety Cam Lewis for several of their big plays during that dramatic comeback victory a few weeks ago. Mm. Now, if you have a secondary that has some holes, there's one way to fix it. Get the pass rush working, because that'll cover up those issues. Yeah. Losing Von Miller cost the Bills their best pass rusher.
0: Which sounds like uh, really bad news for the Bills.
2: It's not ideal to lose Von Miller Before the postseason begins, I would say if there's good news so far, as we've seen Miller out for a couple games now, there hasn't been a ton of a drop off in terms of the pass pressure. But without Miller, this is a group project. There's, There's no star coming to save this defense. And I think what's scary about that, if you're a Bills fan, is that you're sort of now in the exact same situation you were against the Chiefs last year, where you're worried about a game where it goes deep into the fourth quarter and you don't have the pass rush to slow down Patrick Mahomes.
0: You raise this fascinating point, which is that the Bills defensively haven't quite dropped off as much as you would expect. And big picture, right? They've won four in a row. They are still the top seed in the entire AFC. Mm -hmm. But what I'm curious about is that, you know, they just went and rehired itinerant uh, 33-year-old rapper slash slot receiver Cole Beasley. (laughs) Which says what to you, Bill? What does that say to you about Josh Allen and the offense now?
2: It says there was something missing from this offense. And I think we can all debate what that actually is. As Isaiah McKenzie, Bill's slot receiver, who's probably about to lose his job to Cole Beasley, said on Twitter quote-unquote, he's our anti-vax loser.
0: (laughs) I mean, this was that Twitter thread where someone wrote Isaiah McKenzie, stop supporting that anti-vax loser. And yeah, McKenzie's response was, he's our anti-vax loser, which I do respect, I guess.
2: I think Cole Beasley is probably well past his best at this point, but McKenzie's been dropping a lot of passes. And this has been a sloppy offense for the vast majority of the season. The red zone offense, they think that had been the most obvious concern, Josh Allen throwing interceptions seemingly week after week, has improved. Over this four-game winning streak, the Bills are eighth in red zone conversion rate, which is just fine. They'll be able to win plenty of games if they can just keep that up. But Allen is still struggling. He's had an issue with consistently making the passes. I think his brain and his body want to hit, but that his still-injured arm maybe can't hit reliably. Mm. The windows... That were open for Josh Allen and maybe only Josh Allen when he's healthy have not always been open so far this season. The offensive line has been banged up and struggled with penalties. And that is a big concern for this team on the whole. Even through this four-game winning streak, Pablo, the Bills have taken 31 penalties. That's the fourth most in all of football. And despite all that, I could give you more arguments for why the Bills look like they're a bit of a mess, but they're still in first place in the AFC. So even though they have problems, the fact that everyone else in the NFL seems to have problems is still enough to leave the Bills in first place and what they shot to control their own destiny and have the playoffs run through Western New York.
0: Wait, so just to be clear though, because we're talking about windows here and Josh Allen was a guy who turned portholes into these big bay windows (sighs) with his arm and his brain in sync. But in terms of the Bills window right now, how stoppable are they looking to you? How bullish are you, I guess, about what the Bills might do this season?
2: They were my Super Bowl pick before the year, Pablo. So I want to be respectful of of previous me, of myself. Of yourself. (laughs) No one else is, so I might as well be. (laughs) But I think the injuries are a legit concern here. (laughs) Teams don't get healthier typically as the season goes along. And I think the injuries keep them right now a tier below the Chiefs, who are one of the healthiest teams in football. At the end of the season, that is really a lot of what matters. It's something we never discuss as fans or analysts.
0: No, because we want to watch football like it's Tom and Jerry. We want to see people (laughs) get hit with a giant hammer and not feel any actual consequences long term.
2: Yes, that, that is part of it for sure. But we also want excuses. Like we want, it's easy to look at a team that's been banged up by injuries like the Saints, for example, and say, well, of course, they're missing all these great players. But, Mm. Our default as fans or as analysts is just that, yeah, everyone's going to be healthy all year. As long as you're healthy, it'll be fine. That's incredibly lucky. You're more likely to have a season where you're destroyed by injuries than you are one where every one of your key players is healthy deep into December. And that's kind of what's happening for the Chiefs right now.
0: after the break speaking of things that uh yeah deserve our respect besides you it's probably time to reckon with the nfc east
1: now let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom
0: So the NFC East is scary, Bill. Yes. I mean, we've laughed at this division a lot, rightfully, I will point out. Um, but it seems like this is legitimately just the best division in the NFL right now. I mean, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Commanders, the Giants, all above 500. All playoff teams as it stands right now. Mm-hmm. And the most impressive team of all of them, of course, is the 12-1 Eagles, who have the best record in the NFL, have a guaranteed playoff spot, and most terrifying, it feels like, is just this version of Jalen Hurts, their star quarterback. So, what is most impressive to you about what Jalen Hurts has been doing?
2: I would say Jalen Hurts' year on year growth is the most impressive thing to me, Pablo. So, go back to his rookie season in 2020. Think about how dire the situation looked for the Eagles. They had just benched Carson Wentz, who was supposed to be their franchise quarterback. Doug Peterson was on his way out of a job. Mm. They were visibly tanking. Jalen Hurts was a breath of fresh air. He helped them win a game against the Saints, but he was not very good. He was completing 52% of his passes that year. Now, profootballreference.com, the excellent football nerd website, (laughs) has an index stat, just comparing how you did versus how everyone else in your, your league did and then contrasting that across time. Jalen Hurts had the 10th worst completion percentage in the history of the National Football League. That's how low Jalen Hurts was Mm. as a rookie and how much work he had to do to even be a competent NFL quarterback. Last year, he was a competent NFL quarterback. He was very good running the football. His completion percentage jumped from 52% to 61.3%, still below average, but there were signs of growth and reasons to be impressed now the eagles to be fair really thrived when they became a run first team it took the ball out of hurts hands as a passer nothing wrong with that but for the eagles who had aspirations of getting a franchise quarterback in there there was still a reasonable possibility that they would be drafting a quarterback either in 2022 or in 2023 Mm -hmm. now quarterbacks who make that kind of year-to-year leap just about all of them take a step backwards the next year Jalen Hurts has done the exact opposite. Jalen Hurts has improved even further. He has a 68% completion percentage this year. His accuracy, which was once again the 10th worst in the history of the National Football League two years ago, <laughs> is now well above average. And it's not like they're just dialing up gimmick stuff or it's screens and short throws. No. He's hitting shots downfield week after week after week. And yes, of course. Playing with A.J. Brown helps. Playing with Devontae Smith helps. But Hertz has improved his mechanics, his decision-making, and his processing speed. He's gone from being a liability as a passer to being a legitimately great passer. And on top of that, Pablo, it would be foolish, I think, to count out the possibility that Hertz, who has made two massive leaps in two seasons as a pro, keeps continuing to get better.
0: So if you're seeing Green Arrow's all over the place for Jalen Hurts. Where's the red down arrow for Philly?
2: Perhaps they grease up the poles for the championship parade too early.
0: <laughs> That'll never work. Grease the poles as much as you want, City of Philadelphia. They will climb them.
2: Trust the poles. Poplatore says. Okay. Uh,
0: I can't believe I rewarded that.
2: Yeah. I I'll I'll give you two two actual concerns for the eagles pablo uh one of them is when we saw earlier this season and that's their run defense pablo and granted they did get georgia man mountain i not defensive tackle undersells how big <laughs> jordan davis is but their first round pick Correct. is back from small a high planet sprain. yeah yes 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 small planet happens to have occupied the city of philadelphia jordan davis the uh, the alien craft and Independence Day, but playing football, uh, <laughs> Jordan Davis. He's back, and that helps. And they assign defensive tackle depth into Domin King soo and Linval Joseph, which is going to add to what really isn't that big of an issue for the Eagles. If you're ever going to be bad at something in the modern NFL kind of follow the Chiefs' lead and be bad at run defense.
0: (laughs) Wait, so if they're tanking, if they are truly tanking their run defense, that does seem like almost a choice. A choice you make because you can survive it, which sounds brilliant.
2: (laughs) I mean, survival is, is a question. It all depends on which matchup you end up with in the playoffs. And if you play the Bills or the Chiefs, well, probably not a big deal. And those are the two teams the Eagles are maybe most likely to play. If they make it to the Super Bowl, but to get there, they're probably going to have to beat either the Cowboys, the 49ers, or both teams. And Mm. those are teams that, as Jerry Jones will be happy to tell you, live and die (laughs) by running the football. So, yes, even though it is a relatively low-impact weakness compared to being bad at throwing the football or stopping the pass, this is a problem for the Eagles if they play some of these run-heavy teams in January.
0: Okay, so if run defense is this conditional area of concern, you did say uh, there was another one.
2: Besides the grease poles, the other issue is Jalen Hurts's one remaining weakness, the one thing I think Jalen Hurts could still improve in his game, and that's that he takes a lot of sacks. He has the ninth highest sack rate in football this year, despite the fact that he's playing behind what is widely regarded, I think, as one of the league's best offensive lines right now i think this is just the cost of doing business for jalen hurts he's gonna extend plays he's gonna run with the football those are going to lead to sacks and you may take the good with the bad but that's something a team like the cowboys who have terrifying hell beast micah parsons on their defensive line can exploit Now, granted the last time these two teams played, not really a fair comparison because it was Cooper rush in the lineup for the Cowboys. But when that happened earlier this year, Kurtz was just 15 of 25 for 155 yards and took four sacks in that game. That's the sort of performance the Cowboys might feel like they can beat if they have Dak Prescott in the lineup for their upcoming rematch.
0: Right. The Cowboys play the Eagles the week after this Sunday, But in the present tense, the Cowboys are sort of reeling from a win, right? I mean, yes, they are 10-3. and They're right behind the Eagles in the standings. But they just barely escaped at home against the one-win Houston Texans. And I think this might be the most embarrassing win of the season, if we can just sort of invent that category here for a second. So what did the Texans figure out exactly about the Dallas Cowboys?
2: I think as a person I am a little loath to introduce embarrassing wins into anyone's <laughs> vernacular because I feel like I've had too many of them in my own life let alone yeah, NFL same. teams. I same. I I feel like this this Texans team didn't reveal all that much. I'm not that concerned about the Cowboys. If you can follow the Texans blueprint great, but I think it was forcing three Cowboys turnovers, which is something they do not do very often. Now, if I'm looking for things that maybe are a little stickier, I might point out that the Texans did a good job of slowing down the Dallas pass rush by using Jeff Driscoll, their backup quarterback, unexpectedly as a runner. And I think getting their quarterbacks on the move and away from Parsons, the aforementioned hell beast, is a positive thing. I think teams realize that they can attack the Cowboys secondary by pass-protecting well and firing up shots at those defensive backs one-on-one. And if the Texans were able to do that with Chris Moore and Amari Rogers, their fourth and fifth best wide receivers, the Eagles are probably licking their chops right now with Smith and Brown in the fold.
0: Coming up, and speaking of chops licking, by the way, we got to talk Giants commanders A game where everything seems to be on the line.
1: Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? So the game of the weekend in this division, in the NFC
0: beast, the NFC hell beast, actually, as you've deemed it, um, is Giants commanders, Bill. This is a replay of the tie we got two weeks ago, but now both of these teams stand at seven, five, and one. They're the last two teams in the playoff picture. And the bad news seems to be coming more for the Giants, right? Like they had started off six and two, but they have not won since they played the Texans in November. And Washington has exactly one loss in their last eight games. And so who is more likely at this point to sneak into the playoffs?
2: I feel more confident about the commanders right now, Pablo Mm. than the giants. And, And I was inclined to think that's just recency bias because I'm an idiot, but even though they have the same record, the commanders are 17th in DVOA, the football outsiders efficiency stat and the giants are 24th Pablo to put that in context, the Broncos The hellscape that is the 2022 Denver Broncos are better on a play-by-play basis by the most respected metric we have in the public space than the New York Giants who are about to make it to the postseason or maybe about to make it to the postseason. But they probably need to beat the commanders for that to happen because the Giants are in free fall, and everything about them that was working and causing them to thrive during the first half of this season is gone.
0: Break that down for us. What what about this felt like it was sort of due for a reckoning?
2: Let me give you the blueprint for the house of cards for the New York Giants through the first <laughs> seven games of this year when they were six and one. Giants were pretty mediocre on offense for three quarters, and then they were great in the fourth quarter. That was their formula. Well, during this four game winless streak they're on, the Giants are the league's sixth worst offense in the fourth quarter by win probability added. They were terrible on first and second down on defense and then great miraculously on third down, which history tells us is not sustainable and it hasn't been. They've gone from being the league's third best defense on third down by EPA per play to its third worst over the last four weeks. Mm. They were very bad outside the red zone and then morphed into the league's worst red zone defense during this four game witness streak. And of course, The one thing the Giants could rely upon is that when they needed a big play, Saquon Barkley would bail them out. And unfortunately, Saquon Barkley is not his old self right now. He's struggling with a neck injury. He's averaged 2.9 yards per carry over the last month.
0: So wait, as you're standing in front of this house, uh, our resident safety inspector, what is about to happen now then?
2: Uh, I I would encourage the people to get out of the house. I don't think good things are about to happen (laughs) for Giants fans. This may be a metaverse house, and you may be disappearing very shortly because someone changed a file name or something. Three of the Giants' final four games are on the road, and they still have to play the Vikings, who, to be fair, are not very good themselves, and the Eagles, who are actually great. If the Giants lose to the Commanders on Sunday night, the Upshots model thinks the Giants' playoff chances drop to 37%. That's brutal for a team that once started 6-1. and
0: And it's brutal because Pretty Brutal used to be my go-to general scouting report for everything relating to the Washington Commanders. But that now also feels like we need to update it.
2: So everything outside of what's happening on the field, pretty much bad, if we're being honest still. That hasn't changed. You can still keep that part of your scouting report together but on the field, they've been a lot better on a game by game basis than the Giants have. And sure, there's been some luck here and there. They had last second wins over the bears and the Falcons where the other team basically forgot how to play football once they got near the goal line on the final drive of the game. But also remember the commanders had a game like that themselves earlier this year when they lost Tennessee, when Carson Wentz through an interception at the goal line with nine seconds to go. Now, if you're wondering how the commanders turned things around, Pablo, there's one significant difference between the team that lost four straight in September and October and the one that's gone six, one and one since it's takeaways hmm. commanders didn't force a single turnover on defense during that. 0 and four stretch. They forced at least one in every game since, and a total of 14 during this six, one in one stretch on defense, the only teams, Pablo, that have forced turnovers more often across those weeks are pretty much the best teams in the NFC. The Cowboys, the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Lions, who I did not expect to see on a on a, on a ledger of anything positive on the defensive side of the ball, no. but I guess they snuck in. This offense is it's not good enough to blow you away on a drive-by-drive basis. They're not the Chiefs or the Niners or the Cowboys or the Bills. But if you hand them short fields, they're going to score. And if the Commanders beat the Giants at home on Sunday, the upshot has their playoff chances jumping from 71% to 91% with three games to go. On top of that, if they do make it to the postseason, last time they were there, they had Taylor Heineke against Tom Brady. This time, it could be Taylor Heineke against Brock Purdy in the first round of the NFC postseason.
0: Which feels very specifically like a a uh, thing I'd be shocked to see if I just came out of a time machine, yeah, in the year two thousand and twenty-two.
2: <laughs> yes, to be fair, I don't think any of us anticipated that it'd be Brock Purdy versus Taylor Heineke in a playoff game. But I will point out, Pablo, that the last time Taylor Heineke played in a playoff game it was in relief of Alex Smith so <laughs> I I believe this ends with ESPN Daily senior correspondent Jimmy Garoppolo
0: <laughs> yeah or just the ESPN Daily multiverse collapsing upon itself to the point where maybe you Bill Bardwell will also be starting for a playoff team at some point
2: ah yes the world's <laughs> shittiest superhero movie <laughs> me starting in a playoff game <laughs> Bill
0: Barnwell, thank you for saving us, as always, on ESPN Daily. Thank you, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.